Welcome to PeopleTech, the podcast of the HCM Technology Report. I'm Mark Pfeffer. In its seven years, the startup Junco developed a hiring platform focused on DEI, employed dozens of people, and raised a total of $38 million. And now, it's gone. A couple of weeks ago, the board of directors said the company's results had been manufactured, and much of what the founder and CEO had told them had no basis in reality. Today, I'm joined by William Tinkup, the president and editor-at-large of Recruiting Daily. We're going to put Junco's collapse into perspective, look at DEI efforts in general, and talk about what investors are thinking today, all on this edition of PeopleTech. William, it's nice to see you. Please. It's nice all to see you as well, Mark. So, Junco, um, recruiting platform uh, focused on DEI, um, raised $38 million and looks pretty much to have closed because the CEO seems to have been not telling the truth to the board. Right. Um, right. And it all seems to happen also very quickly. So what were your observations? You know, um, a couple things. I'm, I'm shocked that this doesn't happen more often. You know, because money is so plentiful, and and the in in the place that we that we work in, let's say recruiting technology, in, in some cases, it's so hot that I can see where people get caught up. Not quite the dot com era, like you know, you go to a coffee meeting, someone then says, "Okay, we'll put seven million dollars into your company," stuff type stuff, but pretty close. Like the I can see where people don't do their due diligence as much because they for the fear of missing out so i'm i'm shocked on on one level i'm shocked that this that we don't hear about this more often that's the first thing that i would tell you the second thing is there there is an irony of this being the second that we know of the second where this has happened to a company that focused on dei you know there was that whole untapped canvas um, whatever their name is now where they got into trouble, not about finances as much as the optics of a lot of well-intentioned of white folks that were trying to fix DEI. So theirs was a different problem, but the result was kind of same type of um, kind of kind of cataclysmic kind of event. They didn't lose funding and didn't go under per se, but they did take a real real hit because their momentum at the time was really, really good. And all of a sudden that happened. Then again, that was more of an optics, not a finance thing. With Junco, uh, I met her, I met the the founder that that's that's talked about. I met her at Unleash, did a briefing with her, did a podcast with her. I just thought the world of her. I thought she was really, really sweet. She had her baby with her like a little a newborn she had her newborn with her and uh in one of those little things that you carry and just like i thought she was just really trying to fix things so like i i could see where people could get like fall in love with a person fall in love with a solution and then you know maybe the maybe it wasn't doing all everything it was supposed to i've i was telling you this last week i i read a lot of with this one in particular 
I won't read the American news as much as the Israeli news to then find out like what's what's really going on because they're based in uh, Tel Aviv. And so uh, it's, it's pretty harsh. I mean, the the things that have been levied against them, all the executives have quit, as I understand it. Um, most of the employees have quit and it's they're turning out the lights. Like this isn't a, hey, we had some indiscretions or didn't do a, a great job of auditing. Like that's what I thought it was at first. When I first read it, I thought, okay, so the board wanted her to do a better job of internal you know, you know, monitoring and this, that, and the other, like, okay, well, you know what, that's, that's true of a lot of startups, they get into a certain place, their accounting hasn't evolved, you know, to at the same pace of maybe their product or sales and marketing. And the board wants to make sure that they're doing the best by the by the shareholders, and they want to be physically conservative, uh, responsible, etc. And I thought, she just wasn't taking their advice. Like, okay, well, you know, that happens <laughs> with entrepreneurs. They're wild cards. That happens. They, you know, I deal with entrepreneurs every day. They, yeah, sometimes they take your advice. Sometimes they don't. But this one seems, now that I've poked around it a, a, bit, a bit more, this seems a, a little bit deeper than just an entrepreneur not wanting to take advice. Is this part of any kind of trend in the startup world, or is this kind of a one-off? It's a one-off because, uh, well, it's a one-off for me because this, again, is a great example for everyone that's interested in, in work tech or HR tech, or whatever, is as kind of a cautionary tale. So if you're in a rush to fund somebody, you don't want to be like this. You don't want to be like Junco. Like Junco is now going to be the like a Q-tip. Of, of our industry to say, well, listen, you don't want to be that. You don't want to be in that rush. Yes, you want to get a term sheet. Yes, you want to fund them. Yes, you believe in a product, but you don't want to be in so much of a rush that you don't do your due diligence. That's audited financials. You know, it's all kinds of things to make sure that you're putting that much money into a company. You just got to make sure that you, you expect that there's some things that an entrepreneur has done throughout their, the time, the tenure, that's, not perfect because that's not their bid unless they came up through finance which most of them don't they're not the financial house isn't all isn't in order but there's things that are like like i deal with this uh, this lawyer who's on one of the funds i'm involved with and all he does is undo what founders do like his whole bid he lives in the, the caribbean and he's used to okay it's a canadian company they've got an s corp in delaware we need to make it into a C-Corp because S-Corp has this type of tax implications. Or we need to do this. Like he knows how to basically take all the mistakes that they've made and then triage those into and then to make the books be a certain way so that the next funders can come in and go, oh, yeah, the books look straight. So I think I think they'll be used as a cautionary tale. I don't think it's like we're going to pop up and go by the time we get to HR tech, it's like, oh, here's 12 more Junco's. I think this was a really a one-off deal, but I think it'll be used in a positive way of, hey, don't be in a rush. Don't be in a rush and make mistakes along the way in terms of due diligence. And not a bad thing for practitioners either, for them to understand things like this. Yeah, well, the, the investors said that they, they did serious due diligence um, <laughs> before their, I guess, yeah. Um, 
so you know it's it's like everything you're saying makes perfect sense but then here they say well we did the due diligence how could they do the due diligence and, and not find some of this stuff that's right so either you did and you're incompetent or you did right you can't have it both ways if you if you're going to say we did the due diligence then it's like well then why didn't you find these things if you did the due diligence somebody needs to be fired or probably the better example the probably the what really happened is they trusted the due diligence that was already there yeah and they didn't do their own they basically said yep we trust that and uh what was it reagan that said trust but verify i can't remember mm -hmm. who said that. yeah yeah so the verify part on on that is the most important for funding uh, uh people is just you gotta you gotta make sure you can't you can't leave it to chance it's not your money that's the thing when you're on the private equity or even the VC side of things, it's not your money. You're using other people's money. So you're you're the steward of this other group of people's money. So skipping due diligence, I mean, I think the more due diligence, the more arduous the due diligence, the better, so that you know what you're getting yourself into. Good, bad, and ugly. Okay, we have so much technical debt. All right, well, if I know it, okay, I can deal with it. We have these liabilities. We have this line of credit. We have, you know, our employee contracts, our employee agreements aren't all signed and up to date. Our customers are only paying month to month. Like, I can deal with it if I know it. If I don't know it, I can't deal with it. And so I think that this hopefully will be a, uh, a reminder to all the investor community and the entrepreneur community, community to just make sure they have their houses in order. And as an entrepreneur, you shouldn't be, you shouldn't be scared about due diligence. You know, due diligence is like taking your car to the mechanic. You know what I'm saying? Like you, you clean your car, you take care of your, you make sure you got oil and tires and you know air in your tires, all that stuff. But at the end of the day, you take it to the mechanic, and they're gonna plug it into a computer and tell you what's what's going on with your car. Same is true of funding agents. When they fund, they're gonna find things. That's their job. <laughs> to find those things and in this in the case of junco they should have done a better job of finding these things faith in the news media has been challenged making it even harder to get stories told the friday reporter podcast was created to help audiences better understand the media by hosting journalists who will answer the questions to which we need answers join me every friday to hear more what did you think of their idea? I mean, what sort of stood out to you as being the thing that set them apart? Well, I don't, I don't, I didn't get to set them apart uh, out of the technology. So um, I used to say me too technology. You can't say that anymore, but you know, anyhow, it was a like technology that is not unlike probably 20 others in the marketplace. If we were to go to G2, right now or trust radius or whatever look at the dei software there'd be 80 different software links how different are they nothing stuck nothing stuck what i liked in both conversation people can go back and listen to podcasts i'm not going to take it down just because of what happened to them um what i liked was the entrepreneur ironic as it may as it may seem as it is as we look through the lens of today her i was betting on her if i were making an investment 
after due diligence, I'd be investing in her, not the, not the product as it was. Do you think there's folks out there who will sort of jump into the space that Junco's left, or were they really just one of a number of companies doing this? I think I think you know it was you know again a lot of things led up to this. Me too, love is love, Black Lives Matter, George Ford getting killed right in front of us. DEI was the hottest thing. You know, there's a lot of positions on corporate that were made. There's a lot of budgets being spent, a lot of software being uh, being sold. The difficulty now is there's not as much energy. I don't know if you felt the same thing in some of the conversations you've had. No one's going to say that they're against DEI. That's like saying you're against, you know, handicapped people or, you know, the elderly or some shit. Like, you know, I, I hate children. You know, most people aren't going to say that. No one's going to come out and say, I think DEI is just dumb. And why do we spend money on it? I just don't think it's going to get the funding. That's my personal take is that DEI is going to down, is on the downward slope of getting funding. And I think you're going to see people getting defunded, meaning people that were had those positions in companies. And I think that the software, so I think that anybody rushing into that market, you better have an alternative strategy on how um, not to just sell into a DEI officer, maybe sell into a, a, a CFO with a technology that shows DEI and how customers respond to it like you're going to have to show something different other than it's a good idea like everyone will agree yeah we should be more diverse because our customers are more diverse it makes us closer to our customers like this okay like this is just common sense problem is like you and i would just be plodding along going yes this is common sense and then you look at the supreme court's case last week striking down parts of affirmative action, the parts specifically related to uh, universities and admissions. Okay, if we don't think that that's coming to a, a theater near us and work, we're crazy. That's, that's already in the state courts. That's already in the appellate courts. That's already going to happen. It's going to happen. They're going to strike it down at work as well. So now those that want to do the right thing are going to find it even more difficult to make a business case to do the right thing. So I don't think there's going to be a, a rush into Junco's vacancy. If I were creating a business right now, I don't know if I'd target DEI as much as I would target the financial reason for DEI. You know what I'm saying? Like I wouldn't, parsing whether or not you have x number of lgbt x number of african-american women this age this that and the other i'd throw all that shit out the window right. if i were building a company i'd build it based on customer demographics and how can we get more out of customer dem demographics based on our own demographics now that's a b2c play not a b2b play and that would be interesting it's like gain sight for customers but going deeper into the relationship of like their psychographic demographic data and then selling that back to the CFO and saying, we're, we're too far away from our customers. We can get more out. We could get them to spend more with us. If we did these things, hire competent people, which brings me to a discussion that we should have, but 
hire competent people so that we're more closely aligned with our audience. Right. Back to competence. You, we will see an increasing dialogue on hire the most competent person in the coming weeks, months, years, as it leads up to affirmative action being reversed for work, you're going to hear, especially out of the conservative corners, you're going to hear a whole lot about competence. We just need to hire the most competent person. Just need to hire the most competent person. Doesn't matter. Need to hire the most competent person. You just kind of hear the talk tracks. That's going to happen. And they're not wrong, by the way. (laughs) <laughs> like that, that argument while we might not like it on some level they're not wrong mm-hmm. i mean uh well i can't remember the snl comic but he's got a bit on on airline pilots and he's like you know di makes sense up until you talk about airline pilots do i want my airline pilots to be the most diverse or do i just want them to land the plane and take the plane off and arrive on time and whether or not they're white and old or whatever i don't care that argument we don't like that argument that argument that argument with probably 50 percent of america holds weight and they don't see it as racist they see it as why wouldn't you want a competent surgeon why wouldn't you want a competent attorney why wouldn't you want a competent competent dentist etc and they're not wrong we do like I used to use this example to really piss people off. I'm like, yeah, everyone's liberal up to the point where you get jammed up with a felony and your lawyer's wearing flip-flops. Then you're not fucking liberal. Yeah. That's the moment you turn, I, I don't want a guy in flip-flops. I want the guy Harvard educated. I want a ruthless SOB to rip this thing in shreds and get me off. So with all of that as background, I mean, the, the, the court, rulings that you were talking about the yep. the politics of it the societal feelings of it how are those related to the downward trend of venture funding going into these companies i can tell you from what i see is the venture funds themselves to they're having a hard time raising money so it's gotten tighter on them because they go around to family offices and other other large funding agents and they get money from them they're having difficulty proving the ROI of their last fund and proving the ROI of, of the investments that they have right now. Their thesis, you know, all, all VCs have a thesis in which they're all private equity firms. They come with a thesis and they're having a hard time proving their thesis to be true because of the uncertainty in the market. I mean, not just COVID, but, you know, like three different versions of COVID. COVID where you fired everyone, COVID where you hired everyone, COVID where you fired everyone, COVID where you're like, oh, we're done. Oh my God, things are going to be great. Oh, shit. Now they're not great. Like no one can get their feel for what's actually going on with this economy. We say we're in a recession, a recession, but we're not really in a recession when it relates to certain industries. Certain industries are booming. Like the, you can't hire fast enough. You can't hire enough. And I think the VCs, where they've gotten conservative is their money has got conservative. So the money that they represent has gotten, and raising money, they've got conservative. And I would throw in the X factor, a chat GPT and open AI. So when that became commercialized just a couple of months ago, 
I mean, a lot of people that study large language models have known about it a long time and all that other stuff, but when it became kind of mass marketed, I think a lot of the VCs hit pause on a lot of their deals and went, wait a minute, this is disruptive. This is like the internet. This is disruptive. I really like this telecom play that I'm about to put money into, but wait a minute, how will AI disrupt that telecom play? And I think all of them, Probably not a bad idea, by the way. I think all of them hit the brakes. And so they look at, we have to be more conservative. Our money is more conservative. Oh, by the way, there's this new X factor that could be more, it's, it's more of a paradigm shift than the internet, which is hard to believe as we sit here and think. But you know what? I see on Instagram, I see AI models. I see AI models that walk, talk, eat, dance, like total AI, totally made up, right? Why do we need actors? Why do we need actresses? Like, why do we need TV commercial? Why do we need models? Like, so if you can think about it from that perspective, like it can disrupt anything. If we point it that way and it does a good job and it learns, what could it not disrupt? So I think you know, to answer your question, it'd be twofold. The money got conservative, got, got scared, which is what, what, what happens generally when you have some type of economic you know, instability or whatever. But the other thing I think that we have to talk about is, is chat GPT and AI in general and how funding agents are looking at that and saying, oh shit, how is this changing our entire portfolio? How is this changing everything that we do? How is this changing the way that we invest? Like they're having a real true moment of you know, the world makes sense. The world was round, mostly blue, made sense to people in the VC world prior to AI. With AI, does it make sense? And they're all trying to figure out how to make sense of this new world. And in doing so, they're not in a rush to put money into something. And unless, like Beamery, they have their own large language model that's talent. You, you, you wrote about it as well. Talent GP, GPT, where they've been doing it for two years, making their large language model focused on their customers speaking, recruiting, candidate, hiring manager, et cetera. Now, that's actually worth funding because they're ahead of the game. They're ahead of anybody that they would compete with because they're two years ahead. So if I were writing checks, I'd write, check, I'd write checks for that because yeah. they already got a head. Now you can put them into growth mode, throw 30 million at it. And it's like, they don't, all they need to do is go market it. William, thank you. Thanks for, thanks for being here. Vice versa, brother. Thank you for having me. Today, I've been talking with William Tincup, the president and editor-at-large of Recruiting Daily. And this has been People Tech, the podcast of the HCM Technology Report. We're a publication of Recruiting Daily. We're also a part of Evergreen Podcasts, to see all of their programs, visit www.evergreenpodcast.com. 
and to keep up with HR technology, visit the HCM Technology Report every day. We're the most trusted source of news in the HR tech industry. Find us at www.hcmtechnologyreport.com. I'm Mark Pfeffer. Do you love news about LinkedIn, Indeed, Google, and just about every other recruitment tech company out there? Hell yeah. I'm Chad. I'm Cheese. We're the Chad and Cheese Podcast. All the latest recruiting news and insights are on our show. Dripping in snark and attitude. Subscribe today wherever you listen to your podcasts. We We out. The world's best known investor and Wall Street expert Warren Buffett once said, Wall Street is the only place that people ride to in a Rolls Royce to get advice from those who take the subway. Mr. Buffett's quote is remarkably accurate, but how many people would rather receive advice from him than someone simply guessing? Welcome to Buy, Hold, Sell, your single source for Wall Street knowledge and profitable guidance. Please join me, Todd Schoenberger, and fellow trader Tobin Smith, as well as host Veronica Dudo, for a podcast known to move the needle for investors. Tobin and I are seasoned Wall Street executives with deep investment experience, and we are prepared to share our advice to those who choose to listen. Download Buy, Hold, Sell today on the Evergreen Podcast Network or your favorite podcast channel.